really enjoyed our weekend. Um, I want to first of all apologize for my voice. Um, not that I could do anything about it. It just didn't want to work too well this weekend. But we're going to do the best we can here. And uh, hopefully you'll be able to hear me and I'll be able to maintain uh, through the message. I would like to say also uh, how much we appreciate the congregation here. And I just want to get that in before I forget it. Um, we appreciate the amount of work that went in to uh, Camry and Samuel's wedding. And uh, I just want to personally thank you. I know how much work that takes uh, to do. And our family appreciates it. I'm sure I can speak on behalf of the Andersons as well. Um, thank you very much. <clears throat> this morning, I want to talk about something that's been pressing on my mind. And I'm going to be a little direct and I apologize, I'm not angry. Just want you to know, um, we have what we call the Fleming curse, and when we get passionate about something, we look angry. I'm not angry, but I am passionate about it. And there's been a lot of things go on the last few months, and I wanna take a specific look at Romans chapter 14, and I wanna look at your opinion versus my opinion. We'll start off by maybe a couple of quips, cliches, statements, things that perhaps you've heard. You know, there are as many opinions as there are people in this world. I mean, there just are. You know, everybody's entitled to their opinion, but mine is right. You know, if uh, God were our one and only desire, if He truly were our one and only desire, we wouldn't be so easily upset when somebody disagrees with our opinion. But our flesh gets in the way of that, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. My opinions have changed over the years. If you have any age on you, you probably have experienced that yourself. Um, I have opinions today that I didn't share when I was in my 20s or even 30s. Little life experience or whatever that you run into begins to shape and you begin to rethink through things. And I have vastly different opinions today. And you know they're right, I already told you that. So if you have any questions, my opinion or your opinion versus my opinion. Could I have a brother read Romans 14 for me? That will just save my voice a little bit and then I'll continue on. Could you do that, Craig? <clears throat> You're reading out of the King James Version. Romans chapter 14. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. 
Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall holden, be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. He that regardeth the day, regardeth it unto the Lord. And he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. For none of us liveth unto or to himself, and no man dieth to, to himself. For whether we live, we live unto the Lord. Whether we die, we die unto the Lord. Whether we live, therefore, or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived, that he might be Lord both of the dead and living. But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, every one of us shall give an account to him, of himself to God. Let us not therefore judge one another any more, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself, but to him that esteemeth anything to be unclean, let him, uh, to him it is unclean. But if thy brother be grieved with thy meat, how walkest thou not with charitably? Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he that in these things serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. For meat destroy not the work of God, all things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. Happy is he that condemneth not himself in that thing which he alloweth. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, but because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Thank you, Brother Craig. The Apostle Paul here deals with a vitally important issue, and I think it's underestimated and perhaps even undertaught um, the issue really is talking about our differences or our opinions. And it's an issue that's not uncommon um, to the church. It's not uncommon to God's people. James writes about it. Let me find my remote. James writes about it in James 4 and verse 1. From whence comes wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war within your members? You see, we have internal lust for power, for um, control, and that's controlled by our pride. Our pride gets in the way many times, and it doesn't allow us 
to heed to Romans 14 that's being taught here. <clears throat> the passages here in Romans 14 raises all kinds of questions for me. Does it apply to me today? Does it apply to us in the church? And if so, how? Now I'll begin by saying I believe this principle that is taught here speaks to each and every one of us. Christ came to bring peace, true peace. That's what he came to bring. He came to reconcile us to God and us to each other. And that was his objective, or at least part of it, the sacrifice that he made. And I'm going to tell you, I'm just going to state right at the beginning, these petty judgments and opinions and things that we just determine are true when they really may not have concrete uh, foundation or evidence scripturally are just that, they're opinions. And it's got to stop. In the first verse that we read here, Paul plainly states that those who are strong must accept into their group those who are weak. Now, I want to analyze this just a little bit because I find this interesting. Over the years, you probably, many of you at least probably have experienced this. The ones that were against something always seem to be the strong ones. At least that's the way my brain would interpret it. They're the strict ones. And so they're the strong ones. But I want you to notice something in this passage. The strong ones here were the ones who realized they had liberty to eat whatever they wanted to because it was in faith and they gave thanks to God for that. The weaker ones here were the ones who said, no, it's not appropriate. I'm not going to do that. They were the strict ones. They were the antis that some of us may look at today. They were the ones who were extremely strict. And in this case, they were the ones who said no to eating meats. The admonition here was to the strong ones, the ones who knew that they had liberty to eat these meats, not to judge their brothers and sisters. It is not peaceful. It doesn't speak to acceptance. And it offends the one who Christ died for. Just as Christ died for you. It offends them. He says, who are you to judge? Your brother. He uses, interestingly enough, the same word judge here in Matthew 7. Judge not that you be not judged. And clearly we're talking about, as we get on anyway, it'll be clearer. We're talking about determinations and opinions and things of that nature. And so I, the reason I bring this up is Matthew 7 is used so many times and we excuse it and, and whitewash it sometimes, but we ought to be careful with that. I'm not saying there's other, not other applications, but we're not to judge our brother. We're not to have opinions or think that they're dying and going to hell because they have a different opinion of us. That's what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. <clears throat> now, 
back to verse 1, the King James that we just read says this, Him that is weak in the faith receive you, but not to doubtful disputations. Now, I don't know about you, but King James sometimes words it in a way that my mind just wants to go, okay, what does that mean? Well, first of all, the word but gives a different meaning in our day and time today. And so it makes you think something different. And what I thought when I first looked at this was, if there's somebody that's weak in the faith, I'm supposed to receive them, except if they have some doubtful disputation. Except if they have a different, really what that means is a different opinion. But listen, here's what it means. It literally means without passing judgment on disputable matters. That's what it's talking about. Now, there's a lot of things that are disputable. We could talk many, many hours about those subjects because they're vast. Again, everybody has opinions on things. And there's many things that we could talk about. <clears throat> we'll get to that in just a moment. What Paul is saying is to accept them in among you without arguing about opinions, which, which they have that are contrary to yours. So that's the idea. So plant that in your mind as we go forward. The one who knows it's okay to eat meat must not reject the one that thinks it's wrong. Period. I mean, that's just what he says. Now then, all of this is fairly easy to read and maybe even, maybe even to understand as long as we're talking about meats. As long as we're talking about meats, and I think it's in context with meats that were offered to idols in that day. That's the context of what we're talking about. That's not a gigantic issue today, for us, at least in our society. Maybe in some other cultures, but not so much here. So my question is, what about today's issues? Does this apply? Are we only talking about meats and it only applies to that? Or is there some principle here that we need to pay special attention to? <clears throat> I think this is eye-opening. At least it was to me. Because frankly, and I'm just going to state it, I grew up in an atmosphere that was full of arguing over opinions. So what I grew up in. And it took a long time to try to get that out of, out of my psyche, you know, the way that I think. But a lot of division caused in the church from, the, from my earliest ages on, repeatedly, there were issues that were debated and people would divide over. Now, I'm not saying there's not a time, but I am saying we better very prayerfully be thinking through this and considering that before you make that move because that's not what our Lord Jesus died for. It's just not. He died to reconcile us into one, to be one with Him. Now then, frankly, what I witnessed in reality, this is after years of observation and again my opinion, but what we had here was a lot of pride. A lot of pride in our opinions, a lot of pride 
that caused brothers to divide, to not speak to each other, instead divide and show hatred. And I interpreted it hatred when I was young, what I saw. And that's a shame. And I would like to say that's not what it was. But it, you don't have to be really old to recognize some of these emotions. And it's just what it was, at least as I saw it. However good their intentions may have been. Now then, how about those who may disagree with me on issues today? There are issues that are generally debatable. We could discuss them. We could disagree on them. But there are definitely issues. And I'm just going to throw some out so you can think about it. Uh, people debate these things. Going to movies. Playing cards or going to the casinos. Going to a restaurant that serves liquor. Listening to certain kinds of music. Dancing. Drinking coffee. Smoking cigarettes. Tattoos. I mean, there's just, they're all issues. But they're opinions. They're opinions. Let's go on. Let's bring it right here home. How about those who are anti-mask, anti-vaccinators, anti-COVID, anti-Facebookers, anti-any social media, anti-establishment, anti-public school, anti-homeschooling. You want to go on? They're around us all the time. We have them. We have opinions on these issues. Every one of us. And I've seen arguing, and I've seen hatred spewed. I've seen words said that I know they wish they didn't say. And I've seen relationships hurt. That's what I've seen in my life. I don't know that social media has helped us out here on this issue because everybody has a voice on it. And if you post something that's debatable, it'll be debated. <laughs> I mean, it's just the way it is. I happen to like social media. I think there's a lot of good that can be accomplished in it. But there are negative to it. There is negative to it. And we've got to be on guard, and I think this applies. There are a litany of other issues. I take issues with some of these that we've talked about here myself. Believe me, in various circles of the church, there are those who take very dramatic positions on some of these very things. I've seen arguing, I've seen it on social media, and there are very strong opinions that are out there that's hurt relationships. Is it worth it? Is it worth sacrificing a relationship in the church over those opinions? I mean, I told you I'm just going to shoot straight. It's just what we're talking about. Is it worth it? Does it make that other person that disagrees with you, less of a Christian, less of a brother or sister in Christ than you are? Does it make them any less of a brother? Are they less important to God than you are? Because we treat them that way sometimes. Are they less valuable to you than somebody else in the church? Really? Really? 
It's understandable, completely understandable. I think God gave us a brain to, to think and to reason and, and to have opinions and to reason together. It's part of his plan. It's understandable. It is, however, not understandable why we cannot show respect and a deep love for our brothers and sisters in Christ when it comes to our opinions. It's not understandable to me. I, I don't get it. And I've been there. I've done it too. I still don't get it. How can we not show care and love to another whom the Lord died for just like he died for me? How could we do that? Do you really want to run them off? Is that, what, is that our goal? Is that what we're after? Would that make you feel better? Would it vindicate your position if you run somebody off from the church? Let me tell you, keep downgrading them. Show disrespect toward them as if their opinions don't matter. These kind of situations, instead of boasting, ought to have us falling down on our knees in shame before God when those situations exist or if we're guilty of it. All this shows is a lack of humility, an understanding of how God wants us to deal with one another, with love. Now, let, let me just inject. Before you take off and think that I've said it doesn't matter what you do, that's not what I've said. But it matters how we communicate with each other and how we deal with each other over these issues. It matters. The point is this. The Lord's church should be marked by how we love each other. Not how we judge each other. How we love each other. Are we? Is that what society sees? in us. I mean, I have a tough time when somebody cuts me off <laughs> on the road, you know, or somebody's rude to me at the store. That's challenging enough. But our brothers and sisters in Christ, come on. Jesus said this, of course, I'm sure most of you are familiar with it. This is how the world knows that we're His disciples. Not by our doctrine. Not by our opinion. I mean, it's really not even by our doctrine. Indirectly, perhaps. But they know we're His disciples because of our love for each other. That's how. How else are they going to know? Except that we show love. And we show love to each other. Sadly, I've done the judging many times. Can you believe that brother so-and-so did such and such? I just want to tell you, be careful around brother so-and-so. He fill in the blank. Or I belong to the group that believes such and such. Because even indirectly, we're promoting this divisive idea. We need to be careful with that. 
or he or she's a part of those radicals for Jesus group, you know, or whatever. Use fill in the blank with whatever applies or whatever you can think of. We've done it throughout history in the church. We've divided into so many sects of Christianity, if that's even possible. It's pathetic. This is not what the Lord died for. And we don't need to be a part of something that's outside of what the Scriptures have taught us concerning this, particularly not judging each other on our differences and opinions. Romans, same chapter, verses 3 and 4, says this again. And by the way, this is the ESV version. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? Get that, the servant of another. We'll come back to it. <clears throat> it is before him, his own master, that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, verse 1 that we just had read says that the one who eats meat must accept the one who does not eat meat. So the burden here on verse 1, the burden was on the one who eats meat. Verse 3 here says that the one who thinks it's wrong to eat meat must accept the one who eats it. Guess what? Responsibility lies on every one of us. So this is not a one-sided issue. If you think you can only eat meat or it's okay to eat meat, and you think you cannot eat meat, you both have to accept each other. That's what he's saying here. Now, I refer you back to Romans 6, beginning in verse 3. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? I want to ask you, why did the Lord accept the other brother just like he accepted you? Why? He has a different opinion and surely it's wrong, right? Right here is the answer. He goes on, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised up from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. Listen, I have been unified with the body of Christ because of my baptism, my connection to his death and burial and resurrection. I have been unified with his body. And that was realized at that time. The Lord has accepted me based upon this fact. I'm not saying there's not other issues, but let's keep it simple this morning. Let's just talk the brass facts. Because of this fact and my faith in what the Lord did at my submission to his will, he has accepted me as his child. Okay? 
We've all been born into the family of God if this has occurred. That automatically makes you a brother and you a sister and so on to me. I don't have the choice in the matter. God has the choice. And He's the one who adds us to the kingdom. Now then, we've all been born into the family. Because of this, the Lord has accepted us all. He accepted the Corinthians. He accepted those that are being spoken to here in Romans. In the many other places that the gospel was spread. All the way right down to today. And this is the basis on which he has accepted us as his child. Now there's a growth process to take place. We understand that. And there's going to be some things that you're going to learn. And you're going to change. And you're going to change your opinions on over time. But this is the basis of it. This is the foundation for it, okay? I would never condone, let me get that out again. I would never condone going against clear teaching of the Bible. Absolutely not. But surely as it is demonstrated here in Romans 14, there are issues that are simply not to be argued about. And that's serious enough that we ought to pay attention to it, I think. That's my opinion. This does not promote peace. It promotes division, and God's not the author of confusion. In fact, I'm going to say I should fully respect a brother's opinion when we're talking about such things. Because it's just that, it's an opinion. Just as mine is. Just that, an opinion. It's something that we don't maybe have clear guidance on. And so, by conscience sake, we've got to make a determination on how we react or how we respond to that particular issue. So who am I to think that my opinion is better than anybody else's? That's really what it boils down to, right? Let's see if I can say this right without messing it up. Scripture legislates doctrine in our morality and in some other things. It, it definitely does. But according to Paul in Romans 14, our conscience legislates opinions. And you're going to see that as we read on. Our conscience plays a role in this. We have to be Sincere, we have to have a conscience for wanting to please God. But clearly, I could do that eating meats, or I could do that abstaining from meats. And I would be pleasing to God if I did that in faith. Scripture legislates doctrine. Conscience legislates opinion. We have to know the difference between the two and to work on that and know that. We shouldn't boast of anything else. Not opinions, not positions, not status, not riches, not power. We should not boast of ourselves or think of ourselves more highly than we ought. 
Romans 12, same letter that Paul is writing, just a couple chapters later, or excuse me, earlier, says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Over in Galatians 6, verse 14, Paul said it like this, But God forbid that I should boast, save, right, or accept in the cross of Jesus Christ. So there's no room for our boasting about our opinions, about where we are, how we stand, how great we are, how smart we are, how good we are at explaining these things. I hope I'm doing that this morning. Back to Romans 14, verse 5, says this concerning our opinions. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. It doesn't even say, I have to whitewash it. You need to believe this and be convicted by it. Whatever that is, that conviction and that opinion, and to offer that in service to God and being sincere in your conscience before Him, absolutely faithful to God in reference to eating your meat or to abstaining your meat. You are the abstainers, by the way. When we have these differences, it's not about the differences. It's about Christ and Him crucified and our focus needs to be there. And we will serve God, whatever it is that I'm believing, whether I can eat meat or not, I'm going to do it with all my heart in service to God. That's what he's teaching. Now then, we'll step a little farther. In verses 5 to 8, Paul gave other examples of opinions. If you'll notice, as we read, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. What? I thought this was about meats. No, it's not just about meats. We now have another issue he's brought up. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. This is what we were talking about. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. Since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. You see how it can both happen? And he's accepting both. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And that's important to get our heads wrapped around that. That's who we belong to. It's not about ourselves, not about our positions or something else. It's about the Lord. And whatever it is that we're doing, we're doing it for the Lord in conviction. Now, Paul here, of course, gives uh, other examples. It's not just about meats. It could be about days. I'm gonna suggest it could be about other things. Why is this important to understand? 
because I belong to the Lord. This is not only about eating meats. He said some, some are one, uh, think one day is better than another. Some thinks all days are the same. We have that within our own family. <laughs> we do. And we're still family. Guess what? Because we have different opinions. It's okay. Because I belong to the Lord, I answer to the Lord. I live for the Lord. Therefore, I sacrifice my desires, my selfishness for the body of Christ, my brothers and sisters. I sacrifice my positions for the sake of peace, for the sake of unity, for the sake of love, for the sake of the gospel. That's what I do or should do. I don't always, but I should. Now then, I don't seek to harm any part of it. I don't belong to myself. I don't only serve, I don't only seek to serve myself. That's a tough one for us, for me. Because our flesh gets in the way and we want to serve ourselves. And when we get into these disagreements or opinions, uh, self gets in the way. It certainly has for me. But listen, it's a matter of conscience for the Lord. It's God's business, period. I don't think it could be stated any clearer than the Apostle Paul stated it. He said in verse 4, he said in verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. What this is telling me is each individual is the servant of the Lord. That's first thing. Secondly, the master that it's referring to here is in reference to the Lord. The servant, or excuse me, you're judging someone else's servant. The servant is other people from my perspective reading it. It's us. And the master is the Lord. That's the imagery that he's painting here. That's what he's talking about. Now then, another Christian brother is the Lord's servant. Right alongside me, I am his servant. Who am I to make a judgment on another man's servant? Who am I to make a judgment on the Lord's servant? Is what he's saying. I'm just a servant. It's not my place. He's the master. And we answer to him. So who am I to make a judgment on others? I suggest we leave that to the righteous judge who can judge fairly. And who knows the intents of the heart. We think we do sometimes. We don't know. We don't know. But he knows. Now we understand this. <clears throat> I know that we get it. Because if someone were to come into your house and start spouting off what you're doing wrong regarding your children, 
Let me tell you, I can come into your house and I can tell you where you are failing. Can I? Sometimes we need to look inside our own homes. <laughs> but we have opinions about a lot of things, don't we? I certainly do. Listen, you wouldn't take that well if I did that. At least I hope you wouldn't because I don't think it would be appropriate. It's one thing, and especially for an elder, to see an issue and pull the dad aside or whatever and have a discussion and offer service or assistance or whatever to that. Maybe help identify some things that they could do better. That's an altogether different issue. I'm talking about me, just a servant coming into your house and telling you what you're doing wrong and how you ought to do things, you know, in a certain way, the way I think, because my opinions are right, because I've stated that. I hope you understand tongue-in-cheek. God placed my children under my authority to raise and he placed your children under your authority to raise. And it falls on you. Dads, moms, it falls on you. I guess I'm blacking the screen. It doesn't fall on me. Your children do not fall on me. I'm not saying there's no room for help or advice or suggestions or asking somebody some opinion or whatever, because I'll give you my opinion. but it's not my place to come in and run your house. And it's not yours to run mine, is it? There are areas I may allow one child to participate in something and not allow another child to participate in the same thing. I don't know if y'all have had enough kids to experience that. Because <laughs> I've had nine. But there are some things... I mean, excuse me, I have nine. My wife actually had them. <laughs> I did certain things with my older kids that I don't do with my younger kids. Right, Melody? <laughs> They've identified them. But here's why. I might be right, I might be wrong. No, my opinion's right. Got to remind myself of that. Here's why I don't do the same thing. First of all, it could be that I tried it on the elders and went, no, not again. We're not doing that again. We're not going to walk that road again. So we're changing a few things, Amanda. You've been the recipient of that. And Janessa. Or it could be I just lost my second point. See if I can find it. That's my opinion. Oh, let me find where I'm at here. Oh, that's a pretty big one. Because perhaps I know what's best for that child. Because every child is not the same. I've noticed that. Wide variety. 
of personalities, of likes and dislikes, of, of temperaments and just the way they act and re react. And I'm not a perfect parent. Oh my goodness, I'm not. Kids, no talking. Because you know. But I will tell you this. You know what I'm talking about. Every child is different. And you need to tailor and put them on the path they need to be on. Whatever that is. All of mine needed to be on a path of music. Well, a couple of them, maybe not. But No, I mean... Every child has different abilities, different talents, different interests, different things. You need to pay attention to your children. Now, I say all of that and have a little fun with it, but we can relate to that. And the church is the same way. The church is the same way. Look, each congregation under the authority of elders, elders from another congregation doesn't have a place to come into this congregation and start running things. <laughs> it's not their place, is it? We understand that. And these elders have no place in the eldership of another congregation. They know this flock. They understand this flock, I hope. They understand the needs and the differences and the things, the personalities and the things that are happening within. They are the ones best suited Throwing it, not somebody from the outside. And look, we should be encouraging our place. I, I, elders kind of, they play like all roles, but those of us that are not elders, that's not our place either. And it's not our place to go to another brother and start demanding what that brother ought to do. Leave that to the shepherds. Leave that to the ones that are watching. I'm not saying discussions can't happen. That's not what I'm saying at all. Hopefully I'm clear on that. But you're not running the show. And you're not running other people's lives. You need to have a clear conscience before God in your service, in your opinions, in your discussions, and in your faith as it's presented to God. God's the same way. I'm His servant. I need to respond to Him and His authority. And do, I, do the things I do for His glory. Just like you need to do the same thing. No one else can speak or act for me. Others are also His servants. They must answer for the things they do. And will answer to His authority as well. It's not for me to determine how they conduct certain affairs in their lives. Some things are obviously According to Romans 14, <clears throat> pardon me, <clears throat> obviously between us and God individually. Obviously, we're not talking about things clearly stated as doctrine in the Bible, but of the things that are judgment calls, the things that are opinions. There are times that I will do or allow things that others may not. The command from the Lord through the Apostle Paul is that we accept one another. We accept one another based on the premise that we're part of His family. Based on the premise that God 
died for every one of us. And we ought to care about it at the same level that he did. If that's possible, we ought to strive for that. Absolutely. I must understand that God has accepted the weak as well as the strong, and I should accept them also. God has accepted those with different outlooks, different opinions than I have. Is there no grace in our hearts to allow for different levels of spiritual growth? Come on. Surely we have it. God has accepted the poor. I must too. He's accepted the rich. I must too. God has accepted the Jew, the Gentile, the bond, the free, the black, the white. It doesn't matter. He's accepted us all in His kingdom if we've been subject to the gospel. And He's our Lord and He's called us His child. We're brothers and sisters then. And so should I. Paul says in verse 9 that the reason Christ died and rose from the dead was so He would be Lord over both the dead and the living. Backed up a little bit earlier, I think. Let's see. There we are. He then asked after verse 9, He he wants to be the, the Lord over the dead and the living. He says this, So why do you judge your brothers and sisters in Christ? And why do you think you are better than they are? We will all stand before God to be judged because it's written in Scriptures that as surely as the Lord lives, everyone will bow down before Him. And everyone will say that He is God. We will be making a confession. I'm going to suggest to you that it's better to do that today. Own that and confess Him today. And not just wait on that final day. Because some may be found wanting at that point, having not been willing to serve the Lord here. And instead we're judging our brothers. That's the context of what he's saying. Verse 12 concludes this thought simply. So each one of us will have to answer to God. That's a sobering thought. But it's also important to note that all of the context that we've been looking at is about personal accountability. Taking responsibility, not judging our brothers, not judging each other, knowing that we'll have to answer to God, each one of us. I can't answer for you. You don't answer for me. That ought to sober us up a little bit and make us take a step back as we look at our opinions and disagreements and things of that nature. So based on this, I must take my Christian walk seriously. Maybe I get it wrong sometimes, but I need to take it serious because I know I'm answering to God. This reminds me of Philippians 2, verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, 
as you have always obeyed, not all, only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining, arguing, or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. Just a couple of things here. Do everything without complaining or arguing. So here is the Apostle Paul again to the Philippians telling them not to argue in context with what we're studying. I think it's fitting. Also want you to note that it's God who will work in each one of us to will and to act according to the purposes he has set before us. That's God's lead. It's not a brother's, okay? It's for God to do at that level. So we do it without complaining. We do it without arguing. So why? So we can become blameless and pure, children of God without fault. Oh my goodness. I thought that meant we're not supposed to have such and such or we're supposed to do such and such or what he's talking about our conscience. He's talking about our heart. He's talking about what we're doing on the level of opinions and arguing and things like that. That way, when other generations are looking at us, they see love. They don't see this stuff. They see love. And who does that point them to? To Christ. In a crooked and depraved generation, we shine like stars in the universe as we hold out the word of life. That's the ultimate purpose, that we reach others. And we're not going to do it by arguing or disputing. Again, have your discussions. Learn to respect the other opinion, though, when it's not clearly laid out in doctrine. Because there are plenty of those issues. We've already illustrated that. Back in verse 4, I want to highlight this just for a second. <clears throat> I guess I did not, that's okay. I guess I did not put that verse up there, but in verse 4, Paul stated that the Lord's servant will do well. Why? Well, here's what he said. Because the Lord will help him do it, or will help him do well. It's the Lord's business in those situations. It's not our business, okay? Made the point clear, I'm sure. In closing, I know you've been waiting on that. Why don't we just stay out of everybody else's business? <laughs> I'm just shooting straight. Why don't we just stay out of everybody else's business? Why don't we encourage each other in our walk? in our focus, perhaps in our opinions. I really think it's not as difficult as we have made it out to be. Get out of the way 
and let God do His work in them because that's what God said He would do. That other person who has an opinion that's not right because why? We know mine's right. That other opinion who doesn't have it right, God will work that out. Let God do it. He's the one that needs to do it, not you. Now, obviously, I mean that about me too. Don't judge your brother. Let God do his work. He's working on him. I will say that that work may happen some in the sharing of those opinions, but you've got to do so in a way that lets the love of Christ be seen, and that doesn't shy away from that, and that allows um, total respect and love for our brethren, and that we not allow hurt feelings, that we not allow division, that we not allow that to sever the Lord's body, because that's not what He died for. So if we don't shut it down, if we don't stop the arguing and bitter, uh, bickering, we'll most assuredly offend and hurt others. We'll run people off. They'll not want to be a part of this family because of the judging that we have one for another instead of the love. When what we need from each other is to humbly submit to God and serve one another, to be clothed with humility, to care for others as Christ cares for them, then perhaps we will know and experience the love of God to the fullest. That's called esteeming others better than ourselves. That's called humility. It's called love. It's the heart of a servant. It's the heart of a disciple of Christ. I hope what we've talked about hasn't come across really hard, but it ought to jolt us a little if we're guilty of that. And to know that the Lord is not happy with that type of interaction with each other. What He's happy with is peace. He's a God of peace, and that's exactly why He came, was to offer that to us. This morning, if you don't have peace in your life, or you've not experienced the peace that is found in Christ, we want to give you that opportunity this morning as together we stand and sing this song that's been selected.